Check one, check one, two, three. Hey everybody, it's Michael Helms, also known as Michael the Sound Guy, and this is the Location Sound Podcast. You know, each episode we talk with location sound mixers, boom ops, and other industry pros about the various aspects of recording sound on location, whether it's for feature and independent films, TV commercials, interviews, any time where dialogue from actors is recorded. I started my career in the recording studios in New York City with some of the big artists back in the day, and later on projects for networks like HBO, Sci-Fi Channel, and the Cartoon Network. As time went by, I got out of the studio and began working in production sound. Whether you're a seasoned veteran or just starting out, thanks for joining us. All right, my guest today is a man of many talents. Besides being a freelance production sound mixer, he's also a radio announcer, MC, and voice actor. Please welcome Carl Weldon. Hello, hello, hello out there in audio land. So, Carl, how's everything going? I got to say, my life is extraordinary, despite my very best efforts. Uh, you know, I, uh, sound has been very good to me on, like you were saying, a lot of different levels. And um, I'm happy that I can be versatile enough that so many avenues can be open to me doing what I love. Now, Carl, we always like to start off the show by asking, when you're working on location as a sound mixer, what's in your audio bag? My bag's got uh, Sound Devices 633 and uh, Electrosonics uh, SRC receiver with a couple of the new uh, SMWB transmitters out there. Just added Comtex to my kit. That's a nice little addition I got going there. I love a little Stingray Junior bag. It's got a nice small footprint, and um, I'm either in a harness or it's sitting on a cart. Okay. Now, when it comes to power distribution, what do you usually use? A little uh, remote audio BDS. Okay. When it comes to time code devices, what do you use? Generating from the mixer, of course, first, and then keeping everything else uh, going with Denneke. I've got a Smart Slate, the compact one, the TSC, and uh, a couple of the older SB3 sync boxes. They're built like tanks. You can run over them with a golf cart. It puts a little more weight on your camera operator's shoulder if it's living uh, on their shoulder, but um, they're rock solid. I've you know forgotten to jam through lunch, and they've kept time all day. Okay, great. And, and what shotgun mic did you say you had? Uh, for shotgun, the Sennheiser 416, I am gearing up to get a Sheps. That's in the near future. And then for interiors, MKH-50, super cardioid. All right, excellent. Regarding location sound, what are the main audio projects that you usually work on? Most of the work I'm doing has been on uh, a lot of documentary shoots, a little bit of ENG, a few short films. I'm more of a day player. Got, you know, a family life and, and other work outside of location sound, uh, doing live sound. So committing to a month on a feature has, uh, you know, not been as accessible to me as I'd like. Uh, so a lot of, uh, you know, sometimes it's run and gun and sometimes it's uh, uh, doing something, you know, small and independent. And uh, I'd like to be able to say yes to whatever comes my way. The more I can say yes to things, the more options I can provide than, you know, whatever whatever variety comes my way, I can you know, try and get under my belt. Now you're a family man. So how does your, how do you juggle your jobs and family? I took my son on a shoot uh, <laughs> recently. So the juggling, I got to drop one ball and, and actually bring it along with me. <laughs> uh, most of the time, uh, the kids are, they're a little older now, but you know, they, they like what I do. My kids know what an XLR cable is since kindergarten and uh, would correct other kids when they were doing school plays. So they they appreciate uh, my world a bit. 
you know, but as far as juggling family life goes, you know, if I'm if I'm out of town for a, a night or so, it's good. But, uh, you know, if I'm away for a week or longer, then, uh, you know, it does definitely take a toll. A lot of show business families definitely feel the strain of, you know, crazy production hours and schedules and, and such. So it, it is a juggling act. It's a balancing act. It's uh, as much planning as you can put in and, and cooperation all around, uh, you know, the better. Now, I was looking at your past productions that you worked on, and one of them was Nick and Nicky, and it was a, a comedy where you were the sound recordist. Can you talk a little bit about what it was like on set? Uh, Mick and Mickey. Yeah. They needed a sound guy for one day uh, out in a remote area. I guess they had shot most of it in Florida and came up to the Catskills, where I'm located, to do one day in an old Catskills resort and, uh, you know, came on board and was just I just hit the ground running I kind of jumped into the frying pan with you know I was I didn't know anyone on the crew it was none of my people they were all from from somewhere else it was a difficult location it was a you know a lounge with lots of mirrors on the wall where you know hiding a boom was near impossible and and the laughs were being crippled by wardrobe picking noisy outfits and <laughs> you know it's you know but if it's easy you don't learn anything if you are thrown lots of challenges, you are gaining skills. With every with every frustration, you find a way of making it work, and then you know the headache of the day becomes a tool you can use on every gig thereafter. That's good. Another one of your past productions was called Last July, and it was a kind of a zombie apocalypse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it was you know doing a doing a shoot for a friend. Uh, I have yet to see any of the footage from it, and it's a few years gone by now, and I still keep in touch with crew members from it. It was it was shot in July, and it's supposed to be, you know, uh, in, in the future, an apocalypse. And, and if anyone's ever worked on any dystopian, you know, narrative pieces, you know that you're not supposed to be hearing cars and conversations and airplanes because none of those things are supposed to be existing. And, of course... We find a location, and it turns out to be near a skydiving ranch, and there's planes flying overhead all day, followed uh. by people going, yeah, woo, and people coming down on parachutes. Uh, sometimes, you know, just hit record and cross your fingers, and other times you just say, you know, did you did you really check out the location and the calendar? Uh, do you know what's going on in, in the area we're going to be shooting in? There's nothing like asking a crowd of extras for wild lines and saying, I want all of you to give your best zombie groans and growls and stuff. And, uh, you know, it's the kind of stuff that gives you a little goosebumps just to say, wow, I'm getting some good sound today. You know, those, those little rewards, those little wins you can, uh, you, can, you can tuck away and smile about later on. Yes. For those people getting started, from your experience, would you recommend renting gear or buying? I decided to buy and own outright and that way I didn't have to there's no there's no real rental house options um, I'm up in the the mid Hudson Valley area up in the Catskills for anyone anywhere else in the planet I could just say it's near Woodstock and they seem to get a general idea of where I am okay. um, you know the city means you know an hour or two's drive to, to get to you know a proper rental house so for me the best option was to buy things outright I would buy secondhand wherever possible uh, from people I trusted that I knew had reliable gear or, you know, I wasn't buying things on eBay that had a high likelihood of being cloned or counterfeit items. You know, Sennheiser 416s are all over eBay and, and, you know, they look like they're a great deal and it's because they're often not real. You know, to rent equipment, uh, I'm putting money in someone else's pocket, whereas if I own the equipment, I can be charging production to you know, rent it out to them. Buying everything 
that I can afford, buying the best I can afford, rather than you know getting things on credit and having to pay for it a long time. I mean, I, I could have bought a really expensive kit to start with and been paying for it for a long time or doing small things until I had enough to get what I really needed to get the job done. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what would be your philosophy on being overprepared? You can plan all you want, and something different will always happen. Having readiness to deal with multiple situations, even when a simple setup is called for, uh, has always been a good practice. Simple does not mean easy. You know, you can come off as, as a total hero because you have one little connector or adapter in your kit that you thought of that saves the day sometimes. You know, you can get all the, you know, none of the credit if it goes right and all the blame if it goes wrong <laughs> otherwise. Right. Uh, you know, I hate to have to carry a lot of stuff with me. I like to travel light, and that's the nice thing about location, you know, if you're moving around a lot. But sometimes having these little tools and lifesavers and extra odds and ends, again, they, they make the job easier. And, and uh, using my own kit versus renting, back to that, if I'm using my own stuff, it's stuff I'm familiar with that I can have a faster workflow with versus renting something I've never used before. I would rent it maybe to learn, but... I, I need to be able to count on it and know it, know all its its parameters. I'd be trepidatious about you know using something for the first time on day one of a shoot. Of course, there's always something I'd like to get my hands on. I'd love to try a new device here and there and uh, and see how it works. So uh, if I don't have, a, if I don't know another person who's got one that I could try out, you know, tempted to say, hey, can I you know rent this just to you know see what it's about? Right. What was your biggest technical challenge on set? I mean, the biggest challenge is, as a location sound guy, uh, is if you're not in a controlled environment like a sound stage or studio, when you're out on location, you are, uh, you know, vulnerable to the elements in a sense that, you know, uh, sound is this invisible problem that can, you know, you can't just frame it out like a camera. You can't, uh, you know, point at just the subject and not see everything else. Sound comes in from all over the place. So, I mean, of course, the obvious, you know, trains, planes, and automobiles the challenges of your lawn maintenance mowers and weed whackers, your barking dogs, your your air conditioning units that click on, your refrigerators that keep coming on, your noisy furnaces, your quartz clocks that make a click every second, people who forgot to turn the phones off in their home. Every once in a while, there's just uh, you know all the all these things. You can go over a location again and again and again and, and hope that they that they is an interdepartmental cooperation that they will consider sound when looking at a, a place not just for how it'll look on camera, but for how that environment will sound. We always, you know, beg and ask and try and teach and, you know, try and get that consideration. You know, yes, you've got a, a lovely home on a beautiful vista, but did you notice there's a children's playground next door? Right. You know, um, it's, uh, yeah, it's out of your shot, but that sound travels. You know, it's, you, you can't isolate it. As far as challenges on set, yeah, once that stuff happens and there's things beyond my control, what can I do to fix it? You know, what can I do to get as, as close to the, the person speaking to just get as much dialogue and, and hope that it can be tamed by the, the miracle workers in post-production who uh, make us look good? <laughs> yes. Um, you know, there's, there's that. But, um, yeah, challenges on set, uh, you know, if it's human error or... or you know, incompatible gear or sometimes the biggest challenge is simply communication, uh, uh, not having the vocabulary to, you know, if, if someone is asking something of you and they, they, they're not exactly sure how you can make it happen for them. But, you know, you you speak a little bit of camera and camera speaks a little bit of sound and you, you, you get along OK, you know, and it goes smoother. But sometimes uh, 
sometimes it's just, uh, you know, getting along with people. Sometimes the difficulties are very human uh, oriented. Uh, and that's true. It's like we can have all the great gear, but if you can't communicate or you have an issue with certain people, that can be a challenge. Yeah, I can bring, you know, ten or $20,000 worth of equipment, but if uh, you know, the director wants to do day for night in a place where you're hearing birdsong all the time, you know, I, <laughs> I, I can't yell at them, but I can calmly tell them, okay, I'm going to do what you've asked me to do, but you are going to have this issue. I'm not going to be glib about it and say, hey, it's not my problem. I'm going to, I have to say, it's my responsibility to make them aware. These are the limitations you know, we have because of, of science and physics, you know, not, not that I, not that I can't do something. I don't want to fall down on my knees and cry and say, you're asking the impossible. <laughs> I, I will say, I will do the, you know, the best I can to the utmost of my ability to try and do, you know, the best I can for this production because my name's going on it. I want it to be as good as possible. Absolutely. Out of all the productions you've worked on over the years, is there one that stands out being your favorite? I've had ones that were unusual and became things that I get to tell stories about later. Being asked to record a Belgian and art troupe. They were performance artists in the Dia Museum. They basically moved around a space and made unusual noises and interacted with their environment. There was no dialogue. It was, you know, just, just capturing the noise. And on the second day, they said, we're going to bring in three fire trucks and we're going to conduct a symphony of sirens, horns, and their engine noises. And we <laughs> want you to record that. And I had just gotten a set of remote audios, HN7506, if you're not familiar. It's the 7506 headphone inside of aviation headsets. So The white it, ones? They're, they're white ones. Yep. They're, you, you can spot them a mile away. And I was so glad I had them. It was, you know, being in a super loud working environment and still having to monitor what you're capturing. And they started this cacophonous noise and, and about a minute into what we were doing, the fire department got a call and had to leave. <laughs> <laughs> of course. And the nice part, you weren't deaf because you had some great headphones. Yeah, yeah. You know, if, if I can introduce a topic, taking care of yourself, taking care of your ears, just as a, a camera operator shouldn't watch someone while they're welding, uh, or no one should, for that matter, you know, because it'll destroy the retinas. You have to think in the long term about your hearing. Sure, everybody loves a rock and roll concert, but saving your hearing so that you can still hear frequencies and details for recording. The idea of, uh, you know, using hearing protection uh, is, is a lot more economical than, than, you know, having to get hearing aids later and not being able to be a location sound recordist because you, you can no longer hear the subject matter you're working with, that you're no longer able to perceive the medium you're trying to capture. Uh, that's a scary prospect. You know, always good to have some earplugs in your pocket. I, when I, I remember, I think I was in high school and I went and I saw Van Halen in concert and my ears rang for three days and I'm mm -hmm. just like... Now, I was a kid at the time, but you look back and go, oh, my gosh, what damage was done there? You know, it was so loud that your ears were just distorting. And you do that on a regular basis, you, you have some long-term hearing damage. Well, I do live sound as well. Nothing humongous, you know, just, a, you know, a mixer that'll fit into a rack space and, a, you know, a snake and some uh, main speakers and some monitor wedges for the band. But I mix in a way that, uh, you know, that I want to hear it. I mix for transparency. I want everybody to, able to be able to hear what's, what's being played but not be uh, assaulted by sound. That they can perceive every instrument in detail, that the mix is good. You know, the mix is more important than, than the volume. 
and of course you get you get too loud, you get ordinance complaints. But um, you know uh, this idea of mixing for transparency and live sound that you are sound reinforcement rather than you know weaponized sound, the making sound that will <laughs> blow you away. I mean. You know, me, I'm doing local festivals and occasional backyard parties and, and corporate events where everyone's sitting at a table with a name tag in front of them and a desk mic. And and uh, and then I can be a value-added service. Hey, do you want me to hit record on this and, and capture sound from, from this event? Okay. Now, um, you don't have to mention any names, but what was your worst on-set experience? I think, you know, worst day on-set sometimes is just, uh, you know, being sold one bill of goods and it turns out to be something else where, you know, the hours go much longer than you asked for. They're demanding more of you than you came prepared for, and the budget won't accommodate, and uh, someone outright lets you know that they have a hard time dealing with, you know, sound department, like they just have some personal grudge against, you know, people who work with microphones. Uh, I've, I've encountered that. I didn't think I would. Um, and I said, aren't we all trying to cooperate and make a good thing here? But... Um, you know, you later find out that, you know, so-and-so director goes through sound people like water. Uh, wow. That That it's not me, that they actually don't like sound people. And I'm like, really? <laughs> they have to work with them. It's nothing you can be prepared for. But if you can say, okay, I'm, I'm going to do my job. I'm going to try and be professional and, uh, and uh, you know, move on and recover from it. You know, bad days on set are better than your best day in an office is... is a phrase people will go back to, and you know, and I can agree. You know, like I'm, I'm still enjoying myself uh, for what I'm doing, but if there's difficulties from external sources and uh, troubles that are that are hitting me left and right that I have no control over, you know, I, I can either decide to you know toughen up and carry on, or I can you know let it eat me up and and think, oh, I should I should just pack it in and and stop my career doing this. Um, I'm not going to do that. I'm I'm going to learn from it and you know and and carry on. We always like to be prepared, but did you ever forget any equipment that you really needed when you were on a gig? In in radio, we have what are called dead air dreams, where you have this reoccurring nightmare that no signal is going out. Uh, you know, and you you wake up from it, of course, and everything's okay. Now, when it starts happening in reality, uh, <laughs> you know, you you show up on set, you unpack your cases, and a component is missing. I came to do a musician's interview, and uh, I just wanted two boom mics. I, I grabbed a case, I got to the location, I opened the case, and there's no microphone in it. Oh. I, I, I quietly, you know, took a deep breath. I, I let my heart rate slow down. I talked to my good friend who's the DP, and I said, you know, please tell me you brought an extra mic for scratch track or something like that. And sure enough, he had a shotgun mic in his kit that he hadn't planned on using because I was going to run him cables anyway. And, uh, you know, I had a second boom available and, and salvaged it. And it turned out that um, I had loaned the mic to a musician for a recording session. Uh, but for a good couple of weeks, I thought, what did I do? Did it get stolen? Did it get left on the hood and roof of my car? Did I, you know, leave it in some other kit? And, uh, and it turned out that it was just, you know, at my neighbor's house. You know, now it's, you know, double and triple checking my cases before, uh, before going out and... Uh, you know, having having a checklist. You know, what am I bringing? What do I need? But I, I've shared stories about you know the the dreams of uh, you know forgetting something, uh, and people say, like, "Oh yes, I've had that dream," and I've also had the reality where they 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 leave a hotel and their boom pole was behind the hotel room door, and they don't realize it until they're 
you know, already on the train to location. You know, they, mm. what do they do? They run to the home center and grab a painter's pole or do they, you know, try and get a runner to go back and get it for them, you know? So uh, regarding expendables you like to use on set, which ones? I mean, expendables for me, I've kind of cut down on. Most of the expendables were batteries for the beginning of my career. And I thought, you know, I'm tired of having all these half-used batteries. You know, I mean, my kids only have enough toys that I can give them used batteries to run. Uh, <laughs> so switching over to rechargeables was a feel-good, uh, a responsible thing to do, and an economical switch. So, you know, having an expendable be reusable as instead of expendable was good. Um, you know, always having some gaff tape and having some uh, 3M transport hypoallergenic tape for taping on labs, you know, are, are mostly what I have. I don't have what are sometimes referred to as suicide mics, mics that are cheap enough that, uh, you know, if they get destroyed, it's okay. You know, if you're planting a mic in a, in a burning building, you know, I guess you'd use something like that. So, I mean, those are high-end expendables, I suppose, but uh, I haven't had to go that route for anything. There's an old joke, what do you call a sound guy with gaff tape? Thief. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I had not heard that one. That's a good one. Yeah. I, I often get asked by other departments, you know, do you have any tape? Do you have any extra batteries? Do you have any, you know, you know dry erase markers, uh, um, zip ties, uh, you know, bungee Velcro. cords, uh, uh, Velcro, bungee, bungee cords. Um, I like the little, instead of bongo ties, uh, I like these ones they use for setting up party tents. It's an elastic band with a, a ball at the end, sort of a, you know, just a, a, a single, you know, ball version of like the, the child's hair braid, but made of a thick shock cord. Right, uh, I've seen those. Per yeah, perfectly goes around a boom pole or, or through the D-rings on my bag, or uh, I can, you know, wrap a sink box onto something if there's no Velcro option. Um, and it's just good for everything, cable management um, and whatever else. Zip ties, I have them handy, but, you know, once you put a zip tie on something, you have to be able to cut it off later. And right. if you have to move things multiple times, it's not always the best option. When you're hiding microphones and lav mics, do you use any particular expendable there? Uh, I like the 3M Transpore. You can, because it's available in so many places, Every you can get it in every drugstore, um, that it's hypoallergenic, that it's porous, so the talent's skin can breathe. Uh, that it, it's not as gluey as some other tapes. It's clear, so it won't make a, a white patch like uh, like bandage tapes do. Um, if someone has, you know, a sheer you know fabric that can kind of be seen through or anything, if I'm using a lot of it, it tears easy because it's porous, so you don't need scissors to cut it into pieces. It's much more much more skin friendly than you know. See someone throwing gaff tape on an actor. I'm like, no, 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 don't do that. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, especially on skin, which if they get hot, doesn't stick anywhere anyway. I mean, you'll have a little glue on your wire or on your uh, you know your hush mounts or or, or things like that. Uh, you know, before I pack them up, I usually have a little container of cornstarch or baby powder. And I'll sprinkle a little in the palm of my hand, and I'll run the cable through it, and the cornstarch will stick to any glue spots, so I can find them later to remove them, or okay. at least you know keep using the cable and not have it be a sticky cable. You know, as long as somebody's not wearing a black costume, of course. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. After the job is done and we back up, how long do you usually keep backups? I still have backups from years and years ago because I have this dream of one day having all the time in the world to listen to them and pull sounds and, and one day have a sound library. 
you know, I don't have a Foley studio or a sound effects collection that I'm hawking off, but wouldn't it be nice if I could? It's not taking up huge amounts of space like keeping video footage would. You know, a lot of my, you know, earlier two-track recording stuff doesn't take up a lot of space on an external hard drive here and there. So, yes. uh, but a lot of times, uh, you know, production will say, here, we're using our cards today and they'll give me an SD card or, or whatever and, and they take it home with them and, and, uh, and I never hear those sounds again. So I don't have to store everything. Uh, I have had frantic, frantic, frantic calls saying, please tell me you have a backup of, you know, the sound from the other day. And, you know, I'll either become a hero and say yes or say, no, you had the only copy. You insisted on using your card. I handed it to you at the end of the shoot. And I said out loud, okay, everyone, look, I'm handing you this card. And, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and then it turns out that they have it in the, you know, the cup holder of their van that they had just, you know, taken it out of their pocket and, you know, and, and stuck it somewhere and forgotten where it was. Or we'll, we'll spend, uh, you know, some, some time on Dropbox or whatever and, and slowly you know, send each file over remotely. That's true. You know, a number of the people we've interviewed, they have saved the day multiple times over the years. So, so critical to, to have a backup. You, you know, if, uh, yeah, somewhere in the editing process, something goes wrong with their, their drives or the computer or they reformat something and it changes the quality, uh, they lose the metadata and, you know, they could sync it all by hand. But if you still have the originals that, you know, that, that have that metadata, it can help them out. I, I try and ask post-production people, what can I do to make your job easier? You know, what are things I can do to, to think about the next guy? You know, what, what, what can I, how can I help? And they say, hey, the more information you send us, the better. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to accommodate whenever I can. Mostly they want room tone. <laughs> right, right. That's true. Now, uh, do most of your clients prefer to record audio directly to the camera, or are they okay with a timecode setup, or do they try to sync it in post with something like Pluralize or something like that? Most, most of the time it's duplex. I'm recording high quality, and I'm sending, uh, sending to camera just so they can sync later. You know, they'll have a scratch track either with an on, onboard mic of their own, or I've got an ENG snake uh, sending them a mix I mean, if I'm running two channels, they're getting just what I'm getting, but without the quality limiters on a location sound recorder. Camera limiters are often, you know, not as good. So if it if a hot signal comes through, it might not be able to squash it down, and they'll always have my my original audio. Some worry about sending sound to camera because, well, then they've got your files, and, and you know, they don't need your sound, and they're not going to pay you. So I just try not to work with sketchy people that might do that. <laughs> You know, but other times, you know, if if time code is, is, is good enough and that's what they, they say, you know, we'll go with, then, uh, you know, they'll they'll be creating a silent film and they'll have my, my beautiful, pristine, clear audio to, to play with later. Just, you know, as long as they're remembering to slate and uh, if, if there's, you know, you know, I'll always bring three slates to set. My smart slate, a dummy slate, and then an insert slate that fits in my pocket that still has a clapper on it. So, um, you know, something, I, I took a regular sized, you know, cheap Chinese slate and cut it down to, you know, basically fit into a pocket and still have a clapper on it. Um, and it's, uh, it's been very run and gun friendly. Yeah, that's a cool idea. It sounds really tiny. It goes click instead of clack, but you know, you can, as long <laughs> as you can hear it. <laughs> Speaking of jobs and trying to get work, do you have any freelance tips? You'll, you'll hear it again and again. It's who you know. 
you can have, you know, amazing equipment, but, uh, you know, your, your reputation being everything. Saying yes as much as possible to stay on people's radar. Very often, uh, you know, if it's annual events and things, you want to you wanna look on your calendar and know something's coming up and just touch base with them, say, hey, you need me again this year. Trying to get, you know, long-term clients and, and people who will, you, you'll become their go-to. If you can demonstrate uh, an invaluable service you can do if you if you if you go the extra mile uh, i guess if you if you show up and do the bare minimum you're going to be remembered for that i could take a mercenary attitude and say i'm not going to lift a finger to help out in other things because i'm not getting paid extra or i can you know help make the day go faster help out a little bit here and there uh you know make things smoother and be remembered as the, you know someone who got along with everybody i don't have to go out of my way to, you know, make friends and please everyone, but I, you know, I'm willing to be a resource that they can count on. Other tips for freelancers, don't take lowball offers because you'll teach producers that lowball offers are acceptable. If you always concede to working for a very low rate, they'll remember that and say another mixer is trying to get work for them, they'll say, oh, I know a guy who only does it for this much and it, it hurts somebody else too. If you ask for a high rate and they say no, well, that just means you, you lost on, you know, the low rate they were going to offer you. Uh, they weren't going to do that anyway. Yeah. yeah, I have a friend that uh, we work with a lot. Uh, he's a grip on set and he was doing some national projects. And what he figured out on set was everybody's got a different deal. And sometimes you're doing the same job and one guy's making a lot more than you are and one guy's got overtime and you don't. So, yeah, there's a lot of uh, things to potentially, you know, keep a lookout for. Yeah, I recently was asked by a very good friend if I would come up on board for a two-day, you know, shoot at half of my rate. And I said, well, because I want to work with you, I'll say yes. After we wrapped and it was a grueling shoot and, you know, a bit of a headache... I find out later that they had had a higher budget for another sound mixer and uh, they had it all set to go. And then they put out another call for sound and basically got my friend cheaper and got m me cheaper because they finagled something. I don't know. And it hurt. It was, it was, uh, you know, it was like, oh, you, you had more money and then you, you know, you kept it or you put it into something else that we probably didn't need. You know, not every day is a picnic. If this was easy, everybody would be doing it. You know, if this right. was easy... You know, you'd have, you know, stadiums full of sound mixers, but it's not, it's a challenge. It's, it's the, the nice thing about the numbers end of it though, is that, um, well, I'll take the analogy that a guitar is sold every 11 seconds in the United States. There's guitarists everywhere. However, you know, drummers, there's less of them. And you know, who's always working drummers. Yeah. So in the same sense, everybody seems to have a camera now. I mean, there are so many videographers how many people are specializing in location sound? Not as many. So freelancers, you should be dictating the rates, not not them. You are the the hot commodity. You are the you are the the harder thing to find. Um, and if more sound mixers can agree on you know a proper rate, a higher compensation, you know, you know with with overtime, with gear rental, you know the, the all ins. You know, we, t we take them once in a while if it's worth it, but trying to teach, you know, trying to educate production, you know, this is this is what we're worth. It does work. Whether you're union or non-union, there is, you know, there's a lot to be gleaned from talking to each other. 
that, you know, other sound mixers aren't your competitors. They've got your back. If you need someone to cover you for a gig, think of it as a, as a community, as a family. It's a very small world and the film world is even smaller and we all know each other and we all talk to each other. You know, if someone is out there taking the job for $200 that we would normally get six to $800 for, we find out about it and it's, you know, the first thing we'll do is say, hey, you know, we want to teach you to do better. And otherwise is to say, hey, you're, you know, kind of screwing everybody else. It's a delicate approach, but always try and keep it on your radar and, and be ready to have those conversations. I agree. Yes. Now, do you get 50% up front when you're working with, say, a client you've never worked with before? Everybody has a different deal. You know, I've had some people offer to make a deposit and I say, sure, that'd be great. And others say, you know, it's going to be weeks before, you know, the payroll goes out. And others say, yep, you'll be getting cash that night, you know, and it's like, oh, great. <laughs> you know, um, right. you know uh, it's, it's, again, it's, everybody's different. You know, if I was working for one company all the time, I'd know what I'd get all the time. I work with a client recently and yeah, it's net 60. So you got to know those things. It's a bit of a stretch. <laughs> I try not to overextend myself. I don't live check to check. Uh, right. You know, I don't live a, a lush, extravagant lifestyle. I don't have a, you know, a yacht and a summer home and all those things. I, 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 I make a living doing what I enjoy. And I supplement it with, you know, like I said, I make a living with microphones. So some days I'm a voice actor uh, saying really, really fun stuff like equal housing lender, member FDIC, you know, like, <laughs> right, you know it's, right. it's not, you know, it's not, uh, it's not like someone shouting Sega, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, it, it does, it does the job. I don't pursue it like I used to because everybody with a USB mic and a laptop in their dorm room is calling themselves a voice actor. Um, right. just like the, you know, how cameras became more accessible. Now there's more people being videographers, you know, voiceovers became so accessible, more people are, are all saying they're doing their voice actors. Now I kind of sometimes worry about all the consumer grade products or prosumer, you know, they, they have some features that professional mixer, sound mixer devices have, um, but are at a better price point. We are starting to get people who are buying devices and, you know, saying, "Hey, I'm 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 ready to jump in as your your mixer on on a, on a production," and uh, you know they, they'll they'll have a steep learning curve, or they'll you know maybe be undercutting a professional. Again, another you know opportunity to educate them, or to say, "Hey, I'm I'm so glad you're learning to do this." You know, be ready to keep investing and and make your kit better, and and uh, you know do what you can. It's there's perspectives that I have, and that you know, that, that I, that I have to keep flexible, but you know, we're, we're all in this together, I guess. That's right. Now, what are some common rookie problems that you see over and over again? Just inadequate experience, hands-on experience. Uh, if they're coming right from the classroom and they only had a, a couple of weeks of classes on sound and, you know, they, they hit record and cross their fingers and aren't ready and flexible with the experience and, and contingencies, having backups, if I show up having redundancies available, you know, that you're only as good as your backup kit is an expression I've heard and, and can live by that. If for some reason unit A fails, I have a unit B. If, uh, you know, just like, you know, just like the power supplies on my mixer, if one battery goes down, another one switches and takes over just to have that confidence to, uh, to be ready, you know, to, to show up with, you know, a little more than, than you need, um, having extra tools in your kit. How has the business changed since you got started? 
I would have to say the influx of prosumer products and more people getting into the field, getting affordable gear and, and, and jumping in. And uh, a lot of people are filmmakers now. They bought equipment on Amazon and they, you know, write a little script and start doing stuff. It's more prevalent, I guess. You know, if some of our listeners wanted to get into location sound, what would you recommend they do? Yeah, the one thing I would recommend is, is, is doing research that you, you know, school yourself as much as possible. Yes, there's zillions of videos on YouTube you can also watch, but, um, you know, it's good to have the, you know, the, the, the building blocks, the textbook examples of things, the, you know, the information is out there. You can, of course, read what product manufacturers put out and, you know, of course, they'll tell you their product is the best at doing the job you want to do. But, um, you know, people recommend, oh, what's a, what's a good mic for voiceover? And I say, well, what's a good shoe? You know, I can recommend a really good shoe, but is it going to be right for you? Uh, I don't know. You know, you haven't tried it on. You haven't uh, walked around in it. All right. Well, you know, as we kind of wrap things up today, is there, is there any final words of wisdom that you can share with the people out in the industry? Whether you're just getting started or you've been doing this a while, you have to love what you do. The challenges you're going to face will, you know, seem insurmountable at times. Um, but again, see them all as an opportunity to learn. If you start thinking you know it all and you have all the answers and you start saying things like, well, this is the way it's always been done, you might be in trouble because things are changing. Be ready for that. That preparedness will serve you well. Well, Carl, I appreciate you taking the time to be on the show today and talk a little bit about your experience. And if anybody's ever interested in connecting with Carl, what's the best way to do that? Uh, you can follow me on Instagram and LinkedIn and Facebook. Um, my name is Carl Weldon, C-A-R-L-W-E-L-D-E-N. And uh, I look forward to connecting with you out there. And a big thanks to all of our listeners out there. If you'd like us to discuss a particular topic, please send us an email at locationsoundpodcast at gmail.com. We would love for you to subscribe and leave us a comment. We're available on Apple Podcasts and iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, and on your favorite podcast app. Until next time, remember, sound is half the picture.